Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. October 17th, 2020. Dars highlights. Major themes include honoring the mushahada, the vision, and applying the sharia. The Sheikh began by saying that we honor the mushahada, the direct vision of light, even if it's as small as a dot. Sayyidina Ali anhu, he says, you have to honor the dot, you venerate it. He says, why? Because it's the door to the city of the Prophet If you don't honor it, uh, you don't have sound faith, you don't have surrender to the light, then we're not worthy of this path without it. You might as well take off your the beads around your neck and uh, take off the past cloak that you're wearing and, and just go become a Wahhabi. If you don't have ta'zim in your heart, veneration, honoring of the light and of the mushahada, you might as well find a different path. You have to have a principle, a mabda upon which you stand. You have to make istikhara, pray your supplication prayer before you come to us. That's why we tell you to do it, so that you come to us with the conviction of someone who stands on a principle. We're not interested in you as a person per se. We have no interest in collecting more disciples. You neither add nor take from the path of God. Your presence or absence doesn't add or detract from the path. It's the same in our eyes. For Allah Ta'ala, the entirety of this world is not even worth the wing of a fly. So who do you think you are? We are searching for people of true faith, those who assent, acknowledge, tasdiq, they affirm what's true, and they have sincere belief. And we want them in order to help us raise the banner of Rasulullah and to raise and make manifest the path of Allah. So you do istikhara, your consultation prayer, before you come. But after that, if you have doubt, then you have an illness in the heart. After istikhara, after consulting Rasulullah consulting Allah Ta'ala, if you still don't have certainty, this is Rasulullah's consultation. It's his istikhara, you've asked Allah. If you still don't have certainty at this point, then you have to examine your deen. It's on you. The deficiency and the lack is within you. If you're not able to surrender your thoughts and to uh, surrender your common practice, the cultural practice, and subject your thoughts and your cultural practice to your deen, then you're making a mistake. It's the aql, the intellect, that's speaking here. It's not the deen. The aql, the intellect, does not govern Islam. Otherwise, God would not send us the Prophet ﷺ. During the period of Jahiliyyah, the period of ignorance, pre-Islamic times, there were great intellects. Among the Quraysh, Abu Jahl, who was the archenemy of the Prophet ﷺ, was considered a great scholar. He had vast knowledge. That's why when he rejected Rasulullah, he was called Abu Jahl, the ignorant one. Not for lack of knowledge, but he was unable to discern 
between truth and falsehood and the intellect that Abu Jahl had does not determine or have a say in the realm of the unseen. The unseen things cannot be qualified or be subjected or placed under the authority of the intellect. The unseen realm doesn't go under that authority. The Prophet ﷺ, he says that the affair of this religion does not lie in the matters of the intellect. You think that you even understand why 1 plus 1 equals 2. You take that for granted. You imagine it to be logic. But from where? You take for granted what, what was transmitted to you from father to father to father to son. The Prophet ﷺ was sent by God to tell us that the intellect must be managed or must be governed by the deen itself. The deen uh, cannot be governed by the intellect. You memorize the pillars of faith to believe in God, his angels, his books, the messengers and so on. You don't see God, you don't see his angels, you haven't really read his books, the previous revelations. These are all unseen things for you. You take them for granted, you take them as musallamat, and then when the first pillar of these ghibiyat, of these unseen realms, is mentioned, and we connect it with mushahada, with direct vision, you reject it. If that's the case, then you're a disaster walking upon the earth, and you're taking things by blind conformity and rejecting faith. There was a, a question by a faqir who had a dream about uh, seeing the sheikh with white teeth. All of his teeth were white except for one, it was a black tooth. The sheikh says, in a direct vision, in mushahada, the teeth that you see, if you see it in a vision during a wakeful state, those are the mansions of the moon, manazil al-qamariyya. And if one of the mansions of the moon is dark, then one of the cycles of uh, the lunar month uh, was one in which your orientation or turning toward God was deficient. You have 28 teeth, they correspond to the 28 mansions of the moon. In a dream, the vision of teeth in a dream is not the stations of the moon rather it's uh, your family ties and in the case of this dream you have a black tooth that you see in the sheikh who's the mirror of the disciple and all of the white teeth are in, in agreement with your wayfaring with your spiritual traveling with your choice of the tariqah except for one and one tooth, one member uh, does not want you to be on the path and the position of the tooth in your mouth uh, determines how close that family member is to you. If it's one of the back teeth, then it's one of the grandparents or someone more removed uh, and if it's one of the front teeth, then it's someone very close to you, perhaps living under the same roof as you and in this case the dream is telling you to hide your path from that person 
in order to avoid family tensions and avoid problems. Don't bring this question of the tariqah up with them. So remember that the molars and the back teeth represent the earlier or uh, more slightly more distant family relations like grandparents and the the closer teeth the front teeth are the ones that uh, are closer to your home and if it's your husband for instance who does not like the tariqah he has every right not to like it he comes into the home he finds you listening to the dars and you don't give him time you don't pay attention to him you don't spend time with him and even if it's the Prophet ﷺ himself giving the dars, your husband would walk in every day and hears you listening to the Prophet ﷺ giving a dars live, he's going to become upset. But if if you manage your time well, if it's the spouse, the husband, in, in relation to the wife or vice versa, if you manage your time well and you manage your affairs well, you work upon yourself, you improve your character, and you manage the affairs of of your children well, then your spouse will approve of the tariqah. And if not, if you're just focused on listening to the dars and you're not doing any of the inner work, then one day your husband is going to come in and he's going to think, I need a second wife. There was a, a question, it involved the verse, يَوْمَ نَطْوِ السَّمَاءَ the day we fold the heavens the way the way um, a scroll is folded and uh, the sheikh commented on the folding of the book the closing of the book your book the one that you carry with your own hand in the day of judgment those are the letters that you articulate in this world they remain in your heaven in your atmospheric bubble or, or covering beneath you it's it it's not the book of the Malakut. In other words, it's it's the book of the of, a, of the lower world, your footprint in the here below. That's your book that you hold in the right, the words you say, the actions you do, and so on. As for the hidden book, Al-Kitab Al-Maknun, uh, that's uh, the archetypal reality of the Quran that's not touched except by those who are made pure. And this hidden book, Al-Kitab Al-Maknun, that's mentioned in Surah Al-Waqi'ah, it doesn't occupy the lowest heaven. Unlike your book that you hold in your right, the hidden book that you touch with the heart occupies the higher heavens in, in the Malakut. There was a, a dream about uh, a faqiru who saw had a dream of water in a park. Uh, and the sheikh said, uh, when, when you see water in a dream, it's rizq, it's uh, provision, it's uh, goodness, it's uh, uh, God's bounty. Uh, there's another dream about seeing honey in a dream, and uh, honey denotes uh, a cure. Now, there was also a question by a faqir from Australia who was doing salawat upon the Prophet reciting the Durud Sharif, and, and uh, as he was saying, the, the salawat upon the Prophet ﷺ. he had a, a vision uh, in a wakeful state where he saw each particle of his body each cell, each limb doing salat upon the Prophet ﷺ as well and he said that it increased him in knowledge of what it means to do salawat upon the Prophet and he mentioned one of the key verses about the status of the Prophet ﷺ. 
I believe it was لَقَجَاءَكُمْ رَسُولُ مِنَ أَنفُسِكُمْ A messenger has come from uh, to you from among yourselves or uh, the messenger is Bashir wa Nadir he's a, a warner and uh, uh, he brings good tidings but the, the Fakir said that it was also a very terrifying vision and he was very scared it was it, it was really a, a, an intense and, and terrifying uh, vision to see every part of him making salawat upon the Prophet the Sheikh comments he says every human being in fact on earth does salawat upon the Prophet whether they like it or not it's only rafla heedlessness within them that doesn't invoke God and doesn't send invocations of blessings upon the messenger of God even the body parts of the unbeliever are in a state of glorification and sending salawat upon the Prophet is a necessary part of even existing because he's a mercy unto the worlds in their entirety and in a sense if a person if a body part is not sending salawat upon the Prophet then the time of, of, of its existence is coming to an end if an unbeliever's body parts are not doing that then their life comes to an end the difference is that when we say salawat upon the Prophet with the tongue then we're joining ourselves and our body in sending salawat upon him but when we say it when we so when we say this salawat upon the Prophet we're just joining the chorus of our own body in sending salawat and there's a union by virtue of the movement of the tongue and the heart uh, the removal of the ghafla uh, there's a union between that and the body uh, parts or the limbs and extremities your veins, your eyes, your cells it all becomes one and it comes together with salawat upon the Prophet and what God did is he gave you a disclosure of your state he enabled you to see directly what you're actually doing every grain of sand is invoking salawat upon the Prophet and of course, this vision is going to be scary and uh, terrifying, but that's the truth, and you're that's the truth, that's reality, and you're searching for the truth. And the difference between you and someone else doing salawat upon the Prophet is that you've actually seen it, and others have not. All of the children of Adam, in fact, are in this state that you're describing. And when we do dhikr, the entire cosmos comes together and says one thing. Because you're a copy of the cosmos. You're one uh, nuscha, you're a Xerox copy almost, uh, a replica of the cosmos in, in a condensed, non-differentiated manner, uh, in microcosmic manner. And when you send salawat upon the Prophet, your limbs are already doing so. And if you if you reject that, or if you refuse to send salawat, or you forget to send salawat, your horizons, everything around you, and uh, your entire body is doing that anyway. And it's just the ghafla that's not sending salawat upon him, alayhi salatu wasalam. There was also a letter that was sent from a, a faqira from Egypt, and uh, she asked it, well, she sent it to the sheikh in private, and the Sheikh said, I'm going to respond to this letter, which was privately sent to me. I'll respond to it in public, um, but I won't tell the name of this faqira. 
and this is one way we can communicate private questions to the sheikh uh, he said it's too hard for him to answer everyone individually everybody has to benefit from the questions that are sent and if you want to send a question that's of a private matter i'll tell i'll say for instance a faqir from indonesia and then the the indonesian faqir concerned would be would know that it's them so in this case this is a private letter uh, from a sister from egypt and uh, she sent a letter she took bay'ah in june and she said that after a week she stopped saying the word on time the maghrib word between maghrib and isha she began to say it at midnight the morning word she began to say it in the afternoon she says now i've stopped actually saying the word and um the the letter was long and the sheikh commented on it line by line um, and uh, it began with her uh, uh, expressing uh, her that uh, she, she's not saying the word on time and then uh, doubts that she began having in herself lack of self-confidence that she started covering her hair that uh, and she started seeing herself as being better than others and then she started to um, uh, judge others and uh, pay attention to their praise of her and um, it, she just became uh, uh, basically as the letter went on it, it was clear that she was very honest but also in she was in a bit of a mess and um, the sheikh comments he says you took bay'ah it's a pledge of allegiance to God and to his messenger to fulfill the word twice a day uh, morning and uh, night and it's a weird, the word consists of 400 invocations istighfar salat ala nabi la ilaha illallah alhamdulillah wa shukru lillah your bay'ah is for the weird every faqir takes pledge of allegiance to uh, perform the weird from uh, you know from the moment they take bay'ah until they descend into their grave you said you've stopped that means that's called nukur it's a treason it's a betrayal of the covenant you've made with your lord whether you're a female or a male you've betrayed that covenant you can abandon the durus you can stop listening to the dars if you don't want to uh, you can't continue learning on the path very much if you if you stop listening but you can't stop the weird and you break your pledge of allegiance get ready for destruction and th this is to be deprived after been given something it's salb ba'd al-ata and we seek refuge in in god from that the condition for following the durus is that you've seen nurullah and you testify to nurullah that's the condition that the sheikh imposes upon every faqir who wishes to keep listening to the durus if the durus which are broadcast live and are not recorded if the work schedule conflicts with with them and this if work conflicts with the live durus that's not a problem the sheikh says what are the durus the durus are meant to prevent you from freezing from ceasing to travel they're meant to inspire and move your saintly aspiration to move your himma your spiritual ardor to renew your relationship with the fuqara, to renew your heart, 
to give you clarity on what you're seeing and what you're experiencing and to renew your bayah, your pledge of allegiance to your Lord. The weird is the covenant with God itself. It's not something that you know, conflicts of schedule uh, can annul. If you have a scheduling conflict, you don't have to listen to the dars. But the weird is something that you've imposed upon yourself by virtue of the bay'ah. And it's beyond the what's obliged by the revealed law. It's beyond the fara'id. And I give bay'ah. When you say as a murid, I give bay'ah to the shaykh, it's for this nafila, for this extra devotion that then becomes a fard for you. You're telling God, oh God, I'm going to take this pledge of allegiance to fulfill my word twice a day and that word now becomes obligatory up upon me. And that's why the hadith the hadith of Al-Wali uh, servant continues to draw uh, near onto me. There's continuity, persistence, perseverance, istimariya. And this is why we say that after practicing one supererogatory devotion, if you do, let's say, two rak'ahs after Maghrib, if you do that consistently for a year, then after that year, it becomes it becomes obligatory. You're trading with God here. You're trading with your Lord in your Pledge of Allegiance. You're selling your soul and your wealth in return for the garden, for the Jannah. And the weird that you make is a witness for you in the here below, before the hereafter. You say, my problems have shattered me, and I think this is my purification to enter upon the path. All of these trials that I've experienced right after Bayah. The Sheikh says, no, these problems that you're experiencing are not the purification for you on your path. The Bayah, upon entering the path, the purification was those obstacles you, that you had to go through, the waswas, the whisperings that you had before taking bay'ah. That's your tatheer, that's your purification. But once you enter bay'ah, once you take your Pledge of Allegiance, once you make your oath, your covenant with your Lord, after you see the nur, you're under oath. We know this, sister, but this witnesses, this weird, the bay'ah, testifies against you in front of Allah. You've seen Nurullah, now you have a problem. You wish now that you had not even taken bay'ah. That too was a problem. If you take bay'ah, you enter into the Nur, you pledge your allegiance to Nurullah, you have to act on what you've committed to. If you don't take bay'ah, you're in a problem as well because you're mahrum zaman you're cut off from the grace of taking bay'ah with the man of his age, with the wali of his age, with sahibu asrihi. وَمَنْ أَوْفَى بِمَا عَاهَدَ عَلَيْهِ اللَّهَ فَسَنُوتِهِ أَزْرًا عَظِيمًا is the end of the verse of bay'ah. The one who fulfills what they had uh, pledged God, then we shall give them a great reward. This part of the, of the verse, I can't, I have no entry here as a shaykh. That's upon you as the murid. The one who fulfills what they promised God. You gave bay'ah, you give pledge of allegiance. You swear to be upon the guidance of Rasulullah And we're going to meet again on the day of judgment. And we're going to take account. We're going to meet in the hereafter on the day of judgment. 
and take stock and settle the accounts. Then the Sheikh points to a subha around his neck and he says, this is what we've done bay'ah for, for the weird. We don't take or give you anything. We're not asking you for anything. You're not giving us anything. We're, we will witness against you face to face before our Lord that you have given bay'ah to Allah on these conditions that we have conveyed to you the nur that we unveiled your sir before you you see it you see the ayah you see the sign of God you see the ishara and that you haven't fulfilled your pledge this is what I'm going to do so my heart is at peace my responsibility is over I have conveyed to you the nur you've seen it you've taken bay'ah farewell I have no responsibility towards you even if I refuse to put you in the khalwa that's up to me I still don't owe you anything perhaps by kashf I think that you're not worthy of the khalwa I'm a weak servant I'm weaker than you but through God's power I'm going to witness against you and I'm going to leave you hanging for your entire life to teach you adab with God's folk Ahlullah I'm going to teach you how to observe courtesy in their presence. The Sheikh has your word, and more than it, he himself recites this word, and he's busier than you. I have 400 in the morning, 400 at night, and additional awrad to that. And I pray to God to enable me to remain steadfast in my awrad. I fear that I will miss them. I am afraid as well, because my Sheikh can witness against me for what I gave bay'ah to him. This is how the silsila goes. This is the pledge of allegiance. The Prophet says, I leave you with the book and with the progeny, with the itra, with the descendants. You don't take a selfie with the book and with the descendants of the Prophet I leave you with them, the Prophet says, he means you cling to them. This is what it means when Rasulullah says, I leave you with the two weighty things, the book of God and the progeny of God's book. And part of the letter addressed the, the faqiras, the, the way she dresses. And she mentions in the, in the letter that she started putting on the hijab when she entered the tariqah. The sheikh says, the hijab, the head covering, the hair covering is wajib, it's obligatory. It's not the Sheikh who's imposed that. It's God and the Messenger of God. I don't accept anyone who says that it's urf, oh, my cultural practice dictates that I do otherwise. It's God and His Messenger, This has nothing to do with the tariqah. The hijab is wajib. The hijab is wajib. The hijab is wajib. He repeated that three times. The Prophet, didn't shake the hands of women. That was his practice. It's his sunnah. When we're talking about the the hijab, you're not talking about being a karkari or being a disciple or a Sufi. That's not why you wear the hijab. You do that because that's what's imposed by the revealed law. Go ask the jurists. Go ask the Madiki scholars, the Shafi'i scholars, the Hanafi scholars. You don't come to me for that kind of question. We may pass by certain things and not speak of them other things we don't insist on for instance if you have an elderly woman and she shakes the hand of a, a younger man 
that's not a problem. But if a woman is attractive, she shouldn't shake hands. Even the second gaze stands against her. To say nothing of the handshake, to say nothing of covering the hair. This is all sharia. This is not haqiqa. We're talking about the revealed law here. My function is to bring nur into your heart. Go ask the ulama about what to do with your uh, with the hair covering, with the hijab. Go. You don't put on hijab or a turban because you're in the karkariya. You put on the hijab because it's Rasulullah You don't grow a beard now because you're in the karkariya. You grow a beard because it's a sunnah. It's wajib men have to wear facial hair. Forget the karkariya. Build things on their foundation. You have to have a foundation for each practice. And the foundation of how you dress is based on the sharia. This is the divine command. Perhaps the sheikh can offer you a spiritual interpretation of a particular verse. He can give you an insight, an esoteric meaning. And you can say the sheikh said this or that about the significance of this or that revealed law. But when you're talking about the external realm of God's commands, you don't mix them with spiritual practice. That's the external practice as revealed by the Lord and his messenger your nafs wants to adorn itself your nafs wants to wear makeup and wear perfume that everybody's going to smell that's within you and this results in a lack of self-confidence and it's also the fruit of a lack of self-confidence within the nafs itself because you imagine that makeup and the hijab will not give you the status that you and the respect that you would normally enjoy in society and this is a mistake and this is what separates you from deen and dunya you create a separation and a distance between you and the deen and you and the dunya as well this type of thinking it's a fruit of lack of of self-confidence Rasulullah says that the the garden is surrounded by reprehensible things and the fire is surrounded by appetites if you go and pursue the appetites, they will lead you to hell. This isn't karkariya. This is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam speaking. This is shara'a. This is the revealed law. This isn't being a darwish, a dervish, a sufi, a, a, a disciple. The cloak that we wear when we put on a patched cloak, it's out of fear. We fear that if we wear a fancy suit, that our nafs will grow a pair of horns again. So we don't do that. We wear a cloak so that the nafs can remain in its place. This type of dual thinking, a split personality, in Fisam he called it, internal contradictions, leads to what the Sheikh says is falsafa, philosophy idle chatter, intellectualizing, academic talk. And halal and haram then become equal in your eyes. And from there you can slip into heresies of all sorts. You can start philosophizing about the Trinity and going into things where the divine essence itself is not declared to be transcendent and so on. You enter the path to know your nafs, sister from Egypt. And now you've known it, and the Sheikh has done his job. Your nafs is weak, your your creed, your belief in God is weak, you're far, 
you're distant from the deen and you're following your ittiba' of Rasulullah and of his way is weak. I've done my task. I've shown you who you are, just the way you are, that you have many different conflicting thoughts. Uh, there's a, a certain empty thoughts that are built on fantasy and, and sort of imagination. And I just want you to remember one thing. I want you to remember the day you're going to be sent down into your grave. And I want to, you to remember the day when your beauty becomes worm food, when the worms eat your beauty. And all that remains is that little raisin, the tailbone, Azabu Dhanab, that's the size of a raisin. That's the only thing that's going to remain in your grave. I want you to remember that day when you seek God's deliverance in the hopes of being accepted as a servant, Abd, of your Lord. There's no aqidah there, there's no creed, there's no falsafa, philosophy, there's no thoughts, no clothing is going to benefit you there. Your enemies are gone, your friends are gone, your beloveds have abandoned you, but your Lord is with you, and he's been with you ever since, and he's with you now. But are you with him, with your dunya, with your aqidah, with your thoughts, with your philosophy? Are you with him? He tells you to invoke once in the morning and once at night. That's what your Lord is telling you. He's commanded you to do that because you've taken the oath of allegiance upon yourself. The rest of the time is yours. You can't even find 30 minutes for your Lord. He gives you 24 hours and you don't give him 30 minutes. These 30 minutes are zakat. They're purification of your time. It's the nisab. If you apply the nisab of the zakat to your day, to your time, in fact, if you if you look at how many minutes you have in the day, uh, and by analogy of, of how much the 2.5% that we pay on zakat every year, in fact, you should be paying 2 hours and 15 minutes a day for God to purify your time. But you still want more time and you can't find time to put in your weird then the Fakira says that she's she's trying to apply the the principle abase yourself and exalt others. The Sheikh says, No, no, don't do that. You shouldn't be doing that. For you, just go back to the Sharia. Wear colorful clothes, wear nice clothing, but go work, go study, abide by the Sharia. See for yourself the the state of ignorance you you're in and lift that ignorance off of you. Uh, why don't you put effort in that realm? Don't abase yourself and, and exalt others. Exalt yourself. Become a scholar. Uh, you, you didn't think of that, did you? Continue your studies. Continue your research. Continue your education. Regain your self-confidence. Become a alim, a scholar who can confront the ignorances of her own self and of people around her with knowledge, with revealed knowledge. Of Rasulullah I'm telling you to do tawbah and if you really want to do tawbah you have to know that you've betrayed your own self and if you want to do it this is what you have to do you have to buy a notebook and you have to write down the last five months of distance that you've been in you, you schedule it how far uh, the, the, the five months of distance from dhikr each day, 
let's say there's 30 minutes in the morning, 30 at night. So 30 times 2, that's 60 minutes per day. 60 minutes per day times 5 months. You have to go make those up. Uh, write them down in a notebook. Then do your kafara and qada. So your qada is where you're going to make it up. You make up the weird. And to make it easy on you, say each weird in the morning twice. Say the evening weird twice. So do it twice in the morning, twice at night, in a row for five months. After you make it up, give a fida. Give a sadaqa to um, ask God to accept your state of high treason, of breaking the covenant with your Lord. So give a sadaqa, give, go feed people, go. And then grieve over your state. Enter into a state of sorrow. And that's your chance, hopefully, for Toba. Is it hard? Yes. This is hard. What I'm telling you is hard. But do you want tarbiyah? Do you want to be spiritually trained? If you say that that's what you want, but then you say it's hard, and you're just wasting our time. It's like you you think you're sitting with me in a cafe and we're just chit-chatting. It means you don't want tarbiyah. You don't want to be spiritually trained. In the end, I'm telling you, it's better to make up uh, these awrad that you've missed now than to have a beating in the hellfire and the hereafter. This is an illness of the heart that we're talking about. Once you've done what I've said, then God, inshallah, accepts and hopefully renews your tawbah and your bay'ah. Renews your repentance, your, your turning to God and your bay'ah, your pledge of allegiance. And I want to say that this is not just you. Many of us, people here, sitting in this group right now, in front of me, listening to this dars, they act like what is around me. And I reflect the same mirrors in front of them. You act like a wali with me, I'm going to point to a mirror and you're going to look at yourself and you think you're going to, you're going to think you're a wali. You're not being genuine. Sidi, Sidi, Salaamu Alaikum, Sidi, Salaamu Alaikum. All you can see is Sidi, Sidi and Sayda, Sayda. And then you descend into the hole of the grave. And you're going to know in that hole who's a Sidi and who's an enemy. Now we're all Sidis and Saydas and everybody's been all acting to be, acting all saintly. At least this sister from Egypt is genuine in her wayfaring and reveals what her state is. The Mawlid is upon us. The Mawlid, the birth of the Prophet ﷺ, is the time of bay'ah, pledging of allegiance to God, and renewal of that bay'ah. The renewal of the bay'ah takes place now. How can you renew your bay'ah if you haven't done your qada'ah? If you haven't, if you haven't made up what you've pledged Allah Taala to, to to make up, if you ask why don't I see the nur, I want you to know that the gaze of the nur is the weird. It's like a string that keeps the tasbih together. It's the string, the the vision of the nur is the string that keeps the beads of the subha together. And you've shattered the weird, you've shattered the subha. So don't ask about the nur, because you've cut it. And then the Sheikh commented on another question where, where he 
he explained that in wayfaring, in spiritual traveling, uh, you don't blame others for your problems. You blame yourself. You see deficiency in yourself. Because you're born alone, uh, the angels inscribe your destiny, your hereafter on your forehead alone. You descend into this world alone and into the grave alone. And he said it's just the seven nufus, the seven nafses, the seven l l layers of the soul, the seven continents around you, in other words, the dunya, and the inclination towards wealth and uh, towards appetites is the, the, the four main veils. Uh, another point in the Darcy, he said that when you make your your beha and you you build upon uh, what's obligatory and then you add to it uh, what's uh, supererogatory, voluntary devotions that then become obligatory for you and so on. In wayfaring, you have to do it with uh, gentleness. You have to add things uh, with uh, a natural sort of co consistency, um, but you can't break your soul. You have to gradually do it. So you, you have to first, having perfected your uh, your fara'id, what's imposed upon you by God, then you learn to do the weird. And once you do that, then you learn to, you know, you learn to face the qibla. Then you honor it. You you, you put perfume on when you say the weird, um, and then you you expand to the other usul of the path. Um, uh, you uh, you learn siyaha. You learn uh, this uh, spiritual roaming and the patched cloak and and. But you begin with putting on a white jalaba, putting on proper sharia clothes, putting on the um, traditional white garments of the Moroccans, whatever it may be, uh, local, uh, you know, shawal kameez, uh, and, and as you gradually uh, assimilate these practices, there comes a day when you, you add the qiyam, you add the, the fasting, and so on, then one day you wake up and you find a prayer bead around your neck and a cloak, and that you're fasting the day and performing night visuals at night, and, and you're surprised at what happened. You're surprised at the transformation that occurs, but it can't occur uh, all of a sudden. It has to occur uh, with perseverance, consistency, and the proper building of the different levels of practice one upon the other. And um, the Sheikh ended the Dars with a beautiful prayer for the, this Fakira, uh, for her honesty, and he thanked her for her courage. Uh, she, she remained anonymous, but... Uh, he made a beautiful heartfelt supplication and I've noticed that the Sheikh makes uh, strong supplications for the broken hearted uh, especially for those who admit their mistakes Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad kama sallaita ala Sayyidina Ibrahim wa ala ala Sayyidina Ibrahim wa barik ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad kama barakta ala Sayyidina Ibrahim wa ala ala Sayyidina Ibrahim ala alameen innaka hamidun majid